All right. Well, this morning's message is from Psalm 100. Psalm 100. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. It's a short psalm. And I'll read it in its entirety. A psalm for Thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Um, if you're like me, you'll notice each year that the holiday season just kind of comes upon you before you know it. And suddenly we're into Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's. Um, and then it's over. And so um, although this is not the Sunday before Thanksgiving, that'll be next week, one more uh, Sunday, I thought I'd take the opportunity to um, preach a special, special message this morning on the subject of Thanksgiving. So I'm giving you a, a head start, a longer runway to getting ready for uh, the day of uh, Thanksgiving, a day that our nation is set aside um, to give thanks to the Lord. And the subject has actually been on my heart um, anyway to give a message. So I'm, I'm giving it this morning and from uh, Psalm 100. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Are you thankful? Are you thankful to the Lord? Um, gratitude. Thanksgiving is a, in one sense, a small thing. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. And so it's a, it's a very subtle thing. Um, the difference between being grateful to the Lord and ungrateful to the Lord is just one small turn of the dial in your attitude, but, uh, it, it, it turns the angle. It makes a, a, a great uh, difference. So in one sense, Thanksgiving is a small thing, easily overlooked, as something, well, there's, there's, there's more important things even in my walk with the Lord that I, that need my attention more than, uh, this issue of Thanksgiving, a small thing, but it's a big thing in scripture. It's a big thing in scripture. And so let me just, uh, before I get to Psalm 100, just take you to a couple of scriptures that talk about the place of Thanksgiving in scriptures. For one thing, Thanksgiving is a big part of the spirit filled life. You're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit's, um, influenced. And as, as soon as uh, scripture gives that command or tries or describes what life in the spirit is like, it's not long before, uh, the scripture is talking about the attitude of thanksgiving. So, for example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And it goes on to describe other aspects of the spirit-filled life. But uh, right away, first or second thing, having a having a melody in your heart, and it's a it's a it's a melody of thankfulness to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. That's the atmosphere that the Holy Spirit brings 
It's an attitude of thankfulness. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be walking in that attitude of uh, thankfulness. And when you think of the Spirit-filled life, thankfulness is not something you build up to once you start mastering other parts of the Spirit-filled life. No, it's at the foundation. It's one of the first things that uh, is mentioned. It's it's uh, not the last piece of the Christian life. It's not the cherry on top. It's the first thing mentioned because it permeates all aspects of the Christian life and all the things that the Holy Spirit is um, leading you into. So uh, thankfulness is a big part of the Spirit-filled life. It's also, maybe surprisingly, one of the basic things that separates, that distinguishes the life of believers from the life of unbelievers. And so Paul mentions this um, early on in um, his great presentation of the gospel in the letter of uh, Romans. And he talks about the predicament of the natural man, the man who's lost in sin. That's how we're all born into this world. And he gives a very vivid description of it. But he says this, Romans 121, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. A little detail there. Little detail there, but it's important. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened and the, the life estranged from God, alienated from God, hostile to God is described in greater detail. But near the beginning is this little detail. They know God, but they don't glorify him. They don't honor him. They don't give him the honor that he's due or give thanks or give thanks. So it's an important uh, aspect that uh, separates and distinguishes the life of a believer. The life of a believer is a life of thankfulness. You know God, and you honor him as God, and you give thanks. And the life of unbelievers is um, the opposite. Thanksgiving is a big part of what we offer to God. And uh, Christ made an offering for us, a perfect offering. And it's a payment for sin. It's a, it's a complete payment um, for sin. But Christ also enables us, amazingly, to make an offering to God of our lives. And uh, God is actually pleased with it. That's even, maybe even more, more amazing, is that he's actually pleased with the offering that we offer him in Christ. But a big part of that offering that we offer to God of uh, righteousness that the Lord um, enables is just an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of uh, gratefulness. And so later in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, through him then, Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. It's talking about the priesthood of all believers. We're priests and one of the things that means is that we offer up sacrifices to God of our lives. Um, and it's pleasing to the Lord. And again, near the foundation of this pleasing sacrifice to the Lord is lips that gives thanks to his name. A heart, it comes out of a heart that gives thanks to his name. And then that's not else that undergirds the rest of our offering, the Christian life, doing good and sharing. It's the way we treat uh, one another as uh, well. Um, a Christian is to be thankful always. First Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So um, Thanksgiving is it's something offered to God, a grateful attitude in a way. It's something that only God sees because it's in your heart, where he sees your heart. Um, but others will perceive it as well, and we'll see it out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't really hide it very much. 
if you have an ungrateful heart, pretty soon people will know. And if you have a grateful heart, pretty soon people are going to be benefiting from that uh, too. Out of an uh, ungrateful heart to the Lord come very few words that are really worth saying. But uh, a grateful heart is going to have uh, gracious words uh, coming out um, as well. Thankfulness is a substitute for many sins. It's interesting. You might think of thankfulness as a weapon, as a weapon or as something to put on so that as you put off uh, other sins, uh, it's the opposite of many uh, sins such as covetousness, lust, complaining, anger, and more. Those things are dissolved in an attitude of thankfulness and uh, um, put off so that thankfulness can be put on in their uh, stead. Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 3 and 4. There, uh, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be, be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks, giving of thanks. And so all these sins uh, that are mentioned, um, some very grievous, all of them grievous, some greater than others. Um, but uh, instead of all these things, in the place of all these things, stands uh, the giving of uh, thanks. Thanksgiving might seem like a small thing. In a way it is. In a way it is a small thing. Um, but I think it's even more important to guard Thanksgiving, to make sure you have a thankful heart, to be thinking about that in what Scripture calls dangerous times. That's the times that we're living in. That's the times that were prophesied for us. Um, First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter three says, "In the last days, realize this: in the last days, dangerous times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money." And it goes on uh, a list of uh, sins that are oriented towards the self, where everything is oriented towards the self. And among those sins, it says, "Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers." Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, ungrateful, a little sin mentioned there, but it's a big sin. It's a big sin and it's a danger. It's mentioned as one of the sins that's going to prevail in uh, dangerous times. The times that it prophesies, the times that we're living through are dangerous because those times influence you in subtle ways so that just when you think you've taken the right precaution against the dangerous time. Just think when you think you've done all to stand against dangerous times and oppose it to resist the influence of dangerous times, that's when it's possible for you to be taken in <laughs> and influenced. That's why they're called uh, uh, dangerous uh, times for the attitude of selfishness to prevail and it manifests itself in ungratefulness to others. That's what was uh, prophesied. That's what we're to be on guard against and especially in dangerous times. So a little thing, but it's a big thing. It's a big thing according to scripture is uh, thankfulness. So are you thankful? Are you thankful in your heart to the Lord? And in a way, only you know whether or not you're thankful to the Lord in your, in your heart, whether at the very base of your heart is thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. If someone could know what it was like to be you for 24 hours, it's kind of a scary thought, maybe, <laughs> to know all, all what it was like uh, to be you. How would they describe you at the end of it if they read a little report uh, about it? Um, would they say, well, I know this person's not perfect. 
by any means, and I know in a new way that they're not uh, perfect, but they're thankful. They're thankful to the Lord. Uh, what I see in them is uh, a thankfulness. So are you thankful? And if not, how do you become thankful? So the spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude to God lives in your heart so that you become a thankful person instead of uh, sinful in um, a number of the ways that were mentioned in these um, scriptures. Well, with that, let's turn to a psalm that teaches thanksgiving and I think teaches where it comes from too. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. You'll see um, it says a psalm for thanksgiving and that's not a title put in by your translators. They might have put another one in over that, but that's that's a part of the word of God. It's uh, inspired the psalms have, uh, so many of them have inspired titles and this one tells you from the Lord very clearly what this psalm's all about and it's about um, thanksgiving. And so um, the psalm um, leading up to the center of the psalm, which is in verse three, uh, leading up to the center of the psalm is a call to thanksgiving. And then in verse three is a reason for thanksgiving right at the heart of the psalm. And then leading away from the center of the psalm is a second call to thanksgiving. It's done a, another time in a different way. And then uh, at the end of the psalm in verse five, the reason for thanksgiving is stated again. It's the same one. But it's stated in a little different way, come at it from a, a little bit of a different angle. So my outline this morning is going to reflect that. First, we're going to look at the call to Thanksgiving, briefly, verse 1, 2, and 4. Then the reason for Thanksgiving, it's at the very heart of the psalm, it's in verse 3, we'll look at that. And then a third, we'll look at the reason for Thanksgiving as it's stated again in verse 5. It's covered again from a slightly different uh, angle. But first, let's look at the call to Thanksgiving. You, you can't miss it because that's what the, the psalm is. It's kind of a drumbeat that's encouraging you to be thankful or to express Thanksgiving to uh, the Lord. And so it says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Um, all those are urging to salvation, or, sorry, to Thanksgiving. And um, the, uh, then verse 4, coming away from the center of the psalm, it's, it's said again, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's how we relate to the Lord. That when we meet with the Lord, we're to do it with thanksgiving. And we're to live there as Christians. David could only go part of the time. He longed to go in the temple when he was away from it. We live there. The church is the temple of the Lord. God has made his temple in our bodies uh, as well. And so we're to dwell here always with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And all those are what is meant uh, by thanksgiving. So they're all encouragements to thanksgiving. And for this part, let me just zero in on one of these encouragements to thanksgiving. It's in verse two, the first part of verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. And uh, it's just another way in which he's, he's saying, be thankful. Be thankful, but he puts it this way. Serve the Lord with gladness. Um, this school year at church, we have an emphasis in, uh, on discipleship. And um, um, the discipleship groups are oriented towards that. So uh, the curriculum that we're going through is all the ways in which we as disciples serve the Lord and help each other to serve the Lord and grow in uh, serving the Lord. And we serve the Lord better together 
than we do alone, as we heard um, this morning. Uh, but the service to the Lord is to be done with gladness. It's to be done with gladness. Um, this service to the Lord, it's covered by discipleship, um, is so important for a Christian to describe a Christian that a Christian in many places in the Old Testament and the New Testament is just described as a servant, one who serves, or it could be translated, uh, some have argued, I think rightly, um, more literally as just a slave, a slave. And that's the word that's used here for serve. It's the word for a servant or it's the word for a slave. And so this is what we do. This is what we grow in. In um, discipleship, serve the Lord as a servant, as his servant, as a slave, uh, in all of these different ways with gladness. And so there's a gladness that goes with serving the Lord, that goes with being a servant of the Lord, that goes with being a slave of the Lord. God doesn't love, nor does he accept, begrudging service. He doesn't, uh, that's not the way he gives that's not the way he wants us to give either. He doesn't accept begrudging, half-hearted uh, service. But what his scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver, one who serves him freely without uh, constraint out of a heart of gladness to the Lord. And so this is a psalm of thanksgiving. And it, uh, it, it the thanksgiving really undergirds every part of the way that we serve, everything that we do uh, in service to the Lord is to be done with uh, gladness. And do you have it? Do you have this gladness? Are you serving the Lord? But are you serving the Lord with gladness? Do I have it? Am I serving the Lord with gladness? It's my job to serve the Lord. Am I serving the Lord with uh, gladness? Well, the gladness for service comes from thankfulness. Comes from thankfulness. And so um, when he hits the other side of this call, to um, thanksgiving. He, he said, serve the Lord with gladness. He says in verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so it's a gladness that comes from, it's all mixed up with thanksgiving. And this is a call to uh, thanksgiving. So the call is both to gladness and thanksgiving, a gladness that comes by way of thanksgiving, a gladness that comes from having a thankful heart. And that's the way in which we're to serve the Lord. That's the way in which we're, all of our fellowship is to be with uh, the Lord. So how does this thanksgiving find its way into your heart? How do you get a thankful heart? What should you be thankful for this giving, this thanksgiving? Um, what should you start being thankful for if you say, well, I'm not, I'm not really as thankful as I ought to be. I need to be more thankful. Where should I start? What should I start to be thankful for? Well, you can start here. You can start, you can be thankful for so many things. You can start here. God has filled this life with blessings. Um, as creator, he's filled this wor world with an almost infinite variety of blessings. There's food. There's sunshine, there's beauty in ways that amaze us, both great uh, and small. There's friends who love us, who surprise us, um, who make our life uh, interesting. And so even as it is marred by sin, this world that God has created and that he rules is a museum of wonders. 
and it's completely worth the price of admission, which is free. That's how we were born, and we didn't pay anything to be part of this world or to be born uh, into it, and all of those are given uh, from God. And yet, also, into each one's lot, a little rain must fall. And so the blessings are mixed with sorrows, with trials, with uh, sufferings. Of It's mixed with things that you would say, um, and especially say if you hadn't thought about it very deeply, it just strikes you. But you'd say, well, if I could, if I could have the choice, I'd choose differently. I'd choose, I'd choose not to have these sorrows and trials. I'd, I'd choose to have just all the blessings and not have them mixed with uh, sufferings. So you can start by counting your blessings, by remembering all the, the good things that God has uh, given you and being truly thankful for them. However, you can line up all your blessings. You can count your many blessings. You can count them one by one. And they'll never be enough to give you a thankful heart in such a way that you're genuinely glad that God is God and you are not God, unless you can trace those blessings all the way back to God's character and to his disposition towards you. So that all of the blessings that you receive in this life and enjoy and are thankful for, for only express a fraction of what's in God's heart towards you. And that all the trials that you have, maybe also in abundance uh, in this life, are a disguise, just for a short time, of the blessings that are in God's heart to, uh, for you to teach you not to trust yourself, to remind you uh, to trust only in him. That's the way, way in which he gives uh, these psalms. So wherever you start with thanksgiving, it won't be enough. It won't be enough to give you a really thankful heart, to keep you from bitterness. Uh, for the things that you uh, don't like uh, that are a part of your life, unless you can trace them all the way back to the heart of God. They're not just accidents that have come from God, and you got to take the good and try to be thankful for those and just kind of forget about the bad. No, you got to trace the blessings all the way to the heart of God. And so the heart of this psalm, the call to thanksgiving leads up to it and leads away from it. The heart of this psalm is a reason for thanksgiving, and it has to do with God's character, and it has to do with God's disposition towards you, uh, and that's in verse 3. It's the reason for thankfulness. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, meaning uh, the sheep that are under his care, the sheep that he cares for. We're uh, his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, the last two lines of this verse um, can be read as related thoughts side by side. And that's how Hebrew poetry usually works, putting two thoughts side by side and think about how they relate to one another, where it says, um, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Okay, so that'd be one thought. And then a second thought, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And I think most translations put it like that. Mine does. Um, but it puts the words, we are his people, mine does, in italics to show you that those words aren't actually there. We are, but they're just understood. They're understood. And that's fine. That's a, that's a completely legitimate uh, way to um, understand it. So you can think of them as kind of a break. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And then we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. But there's another way that it can be read 
where the single thought is carried all the way through. And uh, some think I'm not the only one who thinks that this is actually the way that this uh, should be read. So it would read like this, and this is just very literal. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves, his people and the sheep of his pasture. He made us to be his people and the sheep of his pasture and not we ourselves. We didn't ourselves make us to be his people and the sheep of his pasture. So that's a uh, full disclosure. Not, you know, obviously not everybody agrees. The translators put it um, differently. I think that's, I think that's the point. It's kind of a striking point that's made here right in the middle of the Psalm. I think either way, the same idea is conveyed by the Psalm. That is, it's not simply about creation. It is uh, he who made us and not we ourselves, but it's also about salvation. It's also about the second creation. It's also about the new birth. And uh, if he's mentioning creation, it's it's a template also for the new birth and for the uh, creation or the new creation, the salvation um, as well. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. And that's put along with how we're made his people and uh, the sheep of his uh, of his pasture. So God is the one just like he created you. God is the one who makes you to be his people and makes you to be the sheep of his pasture and not we ourselves. The Bible doesn't show you the way from you to God. The Bible tells you there is no way from you to God. You're so lost in sin, and this is how we're all born into this world. This is the devastation that sin causes when it touches us, uh, even at all. It, it uh, makes us to be so lost in sin that this is what we need. No less than this, this kind of God, and this is something to be thankful for. This is what we need in order to be saved, in order to know God, a God who makes us his people and the sheep of his pasture and that we are, when we ourselves uh, cannot. The natural person, the fallen person, the person born in sin, doing what we want, can't choose to have a God like that would never choose to have a God like that, a God who's actually above us, who we fear is actually controlling our destiny, deciding what we are and what we uh, are not. But the Bible keeps on telling you and then keeps on reminding you that there's no other way to be saved than to have a God like this who makes us, makes you to be his people and the sheep of his pasture, and you don't. He and not ourselves and that's the way he demonstrates that he is God and that you are not. And so you need a God who makes you to be his sheep. He does it by sending a savior to die on a cross to forgive your sins. And then he sends you uh, a messenger somehow, your angels, for you to hear uh, a message uh, uh, of that salvation, which has been accomplished for you. It's all part of him making you to be his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then he has to give you the faith to believe it. There's no other way uh, for you uh, to have that, to give you the faith to believe it. And you, you trust uh, in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the new birth as he makes you uh, alive. And then he lives in you. And then he lives with you, all his doing. And then he walks with you every step of the way. And then he shepherds you. That's what it says. You've, you've been made to be uh, his people and the sheep of his pasture so that when you start to go astray as a Christian, the Lord 
shepherds you back. He comes and intervenes uh, in your life. He sends you something, whether it be a pang of conscience or another believer, to give you a rebuke uh, to get you back on uh, the right uh, path. And so in order for you to be saved, in order for you to know God at all, it took nothing less than this, than a God who makes you to be his people and a God who makes you to be the sheep of his hands. And this message knocks the props out from under your idol, which is yourself. This message is the death of the quest to be God yourself, which is what uh, the serpent was talking to Eve about, what he promised to Eve. It was a deceitful promise. You shall be like uh, God. And it's this message, and this message only, that makes you thankful that he is God and that you are not God. Makes you glad that he is God so that you can serve him with gladness. And this service uh, with gladness is not service as a way to assert yourself on the path to God, like a journey that you're going to go to with God as the destination. But no, this serving him with gladness based on this gospel of this kind of God, which is a, a death of our uh quest to uh, come to God uh, on our own in some other kind of way uh, comes to us so that we live the Christian life not as a, an assertion of ourselves, but as a kind of self-forgetfulness that frees you, actually, to live not for yourself, but to live for others. And so we constantly need to be reminded of the message of the gospel and a, a message of this kind of God and the way that he became our uh, shepherd this is the rock of our salvation. This is the reminder that uh, the only thing good in you comes from him and not from you. I think that's a comforting uh, reminder. And so the entire Christian life, with all of its decisions, important decisions from start to finish, from initial faith to every decision for an act of love or an act of obedience, is lived not ultimately out of the decision you made for God when you first came to faith in Christ, but it's lived out of the decision that he made for you when he decided to make you to be his people and the sheep of his pastor. And that is reason to be thankful for what kind of God God is, that he has that in his heart and that he uh, acts out of that uh, determination in his heart to make us his people and the sheep of his pastor when there could be no other way uh, for for us to be his sheep and to be uh, the people uh, of his uh, care. You might say, well, how do I know? How do I know that God did this for me? He has to do it all. He has to, the initiative is his. How do I know that he did this for me? Well, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus thought, my sheep hear my voice and I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of my hands, but uh, they respond to the message. When they hear the message, there's no other way. There's nothing you can do to be saved. They, they said, that's me. That's me. There's nothing I can do to be saved. I need a savior like this. And so uh, the Bible says uh, about the, the sheep that God makes to be his sheep, they hear uh, his voice. The Lord Jesus taught in another place, all that the father gives to me because he's made them to be his people and the sheep of his pasture. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So don't uh, delay or confuse yourself or bother with asking uh, questions about whether uh, uh, God has done this for you, determined to make you to be his uh, people and uh, to be his uh, sheep. But instead, come to Christ. 
That's the offer of the gospel. And if you come to him, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he'll never cast you out. You'll get what you want without constraint, without, without being forced or anyone uh, holding a gun to your head. If you don't want Christ, that's what you get, an eternity without Christ. And if you do want Christ, he'll never cast you out. He'll, you'll know uh, you've been planned for salvation from all eternity, and he's done all to make you to be his sheep and uh, his people and not we ourselves uh, in that way. So uh, the, the reason for Thanksgiving is God's character, is God's character. Know that the Lord himself is God. He's actually God above us. Know that the Lord uh, himself is God, and this is his character. It's demonstrated in this. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves, his people, and the sheep of his pasture. I'll read it the way I, I like to read it there rather than the way it's written in my uh, translation. It's also a good way of understanding it. Let me give, finally, the reason for Thanksgiving. Again, it has to do with God's character. Again, it has to do with his disposition towards you. It's the same thing. It's just stated in a slightly different way. And that's verse five. It's a reason for Thanksgiving. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The nation of Israel, the modern state of Israel, I'm sure sure they're in your prayers like they are um, in mine uh, now in their time of great distress. Um, the nation of Israel has a, a beautiful and haunting national anthem, and it's called The Hope. I just listened to it last night as I was uh, preparing this. And it's actually, it's, it's a very fitting. The lyrics of it are, they're, are drawn from scripture, and it's very fitting uh, for it. But I think of this verse, the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generation. I think of this as Israel's theme song, or their real national anthem. Their other one is good, too. But uh, in scripture, this song is sung over and over again in Israel's history. It's especially associated with uh, worship in the temple. Sometimes it's sung just in small part, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. You know, that's, that's enough. Or give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And here it's stated fully in his faithfulness to all generations. That theme song shows up maybe 20 or 30 times in the Old Testament. That's why I call it Israel's uh, theme song. It's still sung in Israel, in Hebrew. And in fact, I think their tourism industry has some, some, they promote it in some way. Um, it's sung in Hebrew. I can still hear it because it, because of the time that I spent, uh, in, in Hebrew or in, in Israel. That's what's written here as well. Give thanks to the Lord. Kitov, uh, because he is good. Keolam, because to eternity, hasto, his loving kindness, his loving kindness. And so it's sung uh, throughout um, in Israel even uh, today. And the whole history of Israel, when it's all said and done, is going to show that Israel as a nation, as a, as a national entity with a national character, did everything they could to run away from God, did everything they could to not be his sheep to not be the people of his uh, pasture. And the Lord made them his people and his pasture, and in the end caused them to really be, as a nation, his people and the sheep of his pasture. And he's going to awaken them by showing them his goodness at the end of days. The Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. And then that will really be their theme song uh, from the heart. And it's yours, too. 
It's your theme song as well. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. You can't run to the end of it. And his faithfulness, not just for you, but to all generations. God only shows you that he is God and you are not in a way that you accept by melting your heart with his goodness, with his grace that makes you glad. And he does it most of all by showing you his son on a cross dying in in place of sinners with arms stretched out wide to all who will come and uh, put their trust in uh, him. This is the message that makes you glad in who he is. It's a message of not so much his greatness. Yes, it is that, but his goodness. That's the leading edge. That's always the leading edge. It's always what you come back to when you come away from it as well, that the Lord is good. His loving kindness, his grace towards even the undeserving is everlasting, is boundless. And his faithfulness to his word, the promises grace, is uh, to be counted on to all generations. So this Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving, when you observe the day that our nation wisely set aside for giving thanks, I said it's a small thing, but our God has given our nation the wisdom to set aside a full day and tell people not to work that day or the day afterward, I guess, too, um, and set aside a day for thanking the Lord. And it goes back to, of course, um, our pilgrim fathers, um, I think 400 years ago, who survived the winter miraculously the lord provided uh, some of the indians to uh, help them to show them to show mercy uh, towards them and it was the lord's mercy towards them and they recognized it um, as that the things this thanksgiving as you observe uh the day for uh, thanksgiving as you think about ways in which we're thankful to the lord i assume that each one of you will have to one degree or another bounty on your table, abundance, good food, more than you can eat, more, more than is a, a serving size uh, for you. And it's an abundance of uh, the harvest. As you thank God for that abundance, for that bounty, trace it all the way back to his character, to his disposition towards you, the God who has made us and not we ourselves, his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And the only way we could be his sheep and the people of his pasture is if he had that intention deeply hidden all the way into his heart, all the way into his disposition uh, towards you. The God who is good and his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generation. And then put that thankfulness to God, not just for the food on your table, not just for the blessings that you recall to mind uh, at that moment, but put that thankfulness in your heart to God for who he is in all of his character, into his heart, to serve him with gladness from the heart, actually thankful, genuinely thankful, freely thankful that he is God, that he is above you, that he determines uh, the outcomes and that you are not. And then you'll be free to live, not for yourself, but to live for him and according to the goodness that he pours out in you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've surrounded us with, and there are too many to count. We thank you for the blessings of fellowship. Then we thank you, Father, for the um, blessings uh, that are spiritual. They come to us uh, through the gospel, such as forgiveness of sins, that you've told us your sins are forgiven. And I'm making a covenant so that you will uh, believe it when you're tempted not to. 
that you've given us uh, the Holy Spirit, that you've given us yourself, that you've given us eternal life, that you've conquered death uh, on our behalf, and so that we will not die, but will live uh, forever, that you've given us uh, an inheritance that we can't even imagine. It goes beyond uh, what we can imagine. And so, Father, most of all, we thank you that all these blessings come from your heart, a heart that uh, intends that we be your people, that we be the sheep uh, of your pasture. And so we thank you for your character, for your goodness, for your loving kindness, that it's uh, never ending. Uh, we pray that we might be more thankful in the days to come and that our lives will be uh, permeated by an attitude of thankfulness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.